What's up, man? This is Joshua Kelly, running back from UCLA, and you're listening to The Podfather. Sports fans want to talk Tom Brady, and the fantasy football season is many months away. And I'm fascinated by this character, this man named Tom Brady, because he's not a real human being. I swear to Tom Brady, there's no one like Tom Brady in the world. I stole that quote from a Barstool Sports writer. Now, if you are a writer for Barstool Sports, there aren't a lot of sports to write about. So that has to be one of the most challenging jobs outside the health and medical industry right now, writer for Barstool Sports, just sitting there, waiting, just staring off into space. There are only so many writers at Barstool that can cover esports and ping pong. I mean, would the world really be worse off if Barstool Sports had a smaller presence after this COVID-19 crisis? Really? Of all the things that we really can't lose, It's the volume of content coming out of Barstool. The diminishment of Barstool really would be a shame. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll be fine. But that was a great line. I swear to Tom Brady, there's no one like Tom Brady in the world. With Barstool Sports, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Bravo. And this clever line was in an article about Tom Brady's contract demands. So, of course, it was tethered to clickbait. You won't believe Tom Brady's contract demands of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You won't believe it. You better click, because you won't believe it. It's crazy. You should click. They're so outlandish. He asked for... His teammates' phone numbers. (laughs) Because, of course, he did. Tom Brady is a PR machine, much the way Herbalife is a PR machine. And any multi-level marketing company. Multi-level marketing companies also struggling right now. They're not essential. No, 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 no. If you're a multi-level, you're not essential. But, but, no need to fear. Our football hero is here, Tom Brady. is here to tell us on Instagram to stay safe. And oh, by the way, TB12 has immune booster supplements in this time of need. That's what we really need, isn't it? Tom Brady's fake medicine, isn't that really what humanity needs right now? Really, Tom? Really? 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 This is the time you chose to slang product? Really? I just don't think that you're thinking, clearly. I'm in the Northeast. I'm near the epicenter of the outbreak in the United States. One town over, Westport, Connecticut, has a serious problem. One guy at a party, and suddenly that town is overwhelmed. And I don't know when this season's going to start, but thank God we have Tom Brady on Instagram to get us there, to bridge that gap. And I'll talk to my guest today, Jeff Radcliffe, about Tom Brady, about free agency and the big trades or or fleeces that have happened in the NFL. When does he think the season's going to start? We will find out, won't we? We'll find out together. But fortunately at Roto Underworld, our season starts on February 1. So the calendar did us a great service. And we service dynasty leagues as much as any and even if this season is truncated or in any way put in jeopardy dynasty leagues will survive dynasty leagues are the cockroach of 
sports. You can question the survival of everything around us that's not essential. With the exception of Dynasty Leagues, they're not going anywhere. We have these guys for their entire careers. We will have herd immunity to the coronavirus, and the number of Dynasty Leagues will have only risen by that time. I know because I've been talking to the people at the FFPC. We are commiserating across platforms. You can see today I'm talking to PFF's Jeff Radcliffe. We are talking about the health of our businesses. Some can hold on longer than others. I think PFF's going to be fine. Player profiler is going to be fine. And the FFPC is going to be fine. And the reason why the FFPC is going to be fine is because best ball drafts are happening now and Dynasty League startups are happening now. That's why when you go to the Dynasty Dominator app, just go to the app store, type in Dynasty Dominator. Boom, there it is. Download it. And when you do the price lookup, there's not only the lifetime value for the player, but also their FFPC ADP. It's happening. It's all happening now. We have market valuations on these players. And the most overrated player in Dynasty at this moment, based on the ADP versus lifetime value, is Devin Singletary. He may end up surviving free agency and the draft and having a productive 2020 season, if the season happens at all. And if he does, congratulations. And I'll certainly ask Jeff Radcliffe about Devin Singletary among many other running backs that I plan to ask him about. And the FFPC player profiler partnership is not being reduced. It is being strengthened this season. We are bringing back the free best ball league entry, or if you prefer, a $35 voucher to join an FFPC dynasty startup. I would offer you an orphan, but they just don't have many left. Demand is high for dynasty right now. So we are well positioned. The FFPC is well-positioned. The Breakout Finder app is designed for Dynasty Leagues. That's going to be in the App Store and on Google Play in a matter of days. The Dynasty Dominator app is already available. And if you go to playerprofiler.com and you want the all-in package, you will get a $35 voucher for a Dynasty startup at the FFPC or a best ball free roll. You let us know. You let us know which you would prefer. The only caveat is... This must be your first time playing fantasy football at the FFPC. Starting today, anyone that signs up for the all-in package can take advantage of that offer. Just email me, podfather at rotounderworld.com, the moment you sign up, and then we'll get you hooked up. So what was $85 a year becomes $50 when you subtract the value you're getting from the FFPC. So tip of the cap, sir, to my friends at the FFPC, we are putting our arms around one another, and we are going to get through this with you. As you know, I am here, and we're doing more shows, not less right now. We at Roto Underworld are using this opportunity to put our heads down. We are pumping out rookie profiles, playerprofiler.com forward slash articles. My man Ray Marzarella is heading up that initiative. Our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash the podfather. We're posting up to five highlight videos a day from the show. And now you'll get teaser clips from the backstage pass. So if you're not sure, oh, should I go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and sign up? We'll show you what you're missing on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. And I'm taking this opportunity to read more. I am looking for in-depth studies on players, teams, injuries, contracts. I was looking at Tom Brady's contract history. There's an article on overthecap.com. From friend of the show, Jason Fitzgerald, even though I called him Jason Fitzpatrick the last time he was on, I kept calling him Jason Fitzpatrick. He did not like that, and he has yet to reply to a single email I have sent him since. 
to return to the show. If you know Jason Fitzgerald, please ask him if he would come on the show. He's not returning my emails. Maybe they're going to spam. I don't know. I love this article he wrote. Just how much has Tom Brady given up in his career? And the narrative is that Tom Brady has given up so many millions during his time in New England. And Jason broke it down really well, super comprehensively. And the savings that Tom Brady afforded to the New England Patriots occurred from 2015 to 2018. This was at a time when the roster was depleted of talent. And it was in Tom Brady's best interest to take a discount with a wink and a nod that the Patriots would make him whole in the future years. They might sign him to one of these, a mega contract like an Albert Pujols where it extends out into his age 47, 48 season, allowing them to spread out whatever signing bonus he signs for across a long period of time. That never actually happened. But along the way, Tom Brady gave up $31 million in contract value. Had Tom Brady been paid at the level of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL during that period, 2015 to 2018, he would have made an additional 30 plus million dollars. But he was in New England for 20 years. So over the course of his career in New England, he essentially gave up a million and a half dollars per season. And during that time, the New England Patriots just happened to beat the Seahawks, beat the Falcons, and beat the Rams for three of Tom Brady's six championships. So that was money well spent. A million and a half dollars per year over the course of your career to infuse your team with talent to get you three additional championships to equal Michael Jordan. Money very, very well spent. Tom Brady is nothing if not an exquisite caretaker of his personal brand. He wants a prevalent narrative that he gave back up to $100 million over the course of his career to the New England Patriots because he cares most about winning. He has no contract demands of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, except I need all the phone numbers of the players so I can call each one and infuse them with this Tom Brady enthusiasm and energy and maybe sell them some placebo vitamins. I sound cynical, but I love him. I know, it. it's weird. But when I think about Tom Brady, generally speaking, I am a skeptic. Anyone that's in the public eye, I don't take what they say on face value. From leading politicians, sportsmen, actors, my reflex response is, I don't believe you. But with Tom Brady, he seems to genuinely care about people in real life. Those that are graced by his presence enjoy spending time with him. And you're not going to find a teammate that has a negative thing to say about this guy. So when I'm trying to decode Tom Brady's behavior, I see the Herbalife Pyramid Schemer on the one side. And on the other side, I see a guy giving high fives to everyone on the sideline, even those that aren't paying any attention to him. I'm like, who, 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 who's the real Tom Brady? He's somewhere in between. But 10, 20 years from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, the money he made in the NFL is a fraction of his TB12 empire. And the $30 million he gave back during a four-year period in the NFL was nothing compared to the esteem those championships delivered, putting him in an echelon unto himself, the greatest football player of all time, soon to be the richest football player of all time. If he's not already, when you factor in Giselle Bündchen's net worth, oh, a lot of money. And he is a great teammate. But the Patriots did not take advantage of his generosity. Jason Fitzgerald killed that narrative. And when I talked to Jeff Radcliffe, it was before Robbie Anderson had signed with the Carolina Panthers. And what the Carolina Panthers are doing is smart. Robbie Anderson was the best value free agent signing of the season so far. I know a lot of us have Curtis Samuel stashed. And that's unfortunate because Curtis Samuel was never a true deep threat. He was miscast. 
by an organization that was not able to create a scheme that maximized the skills of their players. You can't expect a running back, wide receiver, hybrid player to convert consistently on deep passes. It doesn't make any sense. Robbie Anderson, on the other hand, he is one of the most efficient deep threats in the league. Will he be utilized by Teddy Bridgewater, who has one of the lowest depths of target in the league? No. You couldn't pick a worse landing spot for fantasy football. So if you have Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel on your fantasy team, that's a low probability, right? If there's a 12 teams in your league, 12 times 12 is 144. So there's a 1 in 144 chance that you have both Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson. If you are one of the 1 in 144, and there are a lot of those in our audience because we have a lot more than that listening to the show, well, I'm sorry. Anderson and Samuel will cannibalize targets from one another, but this is the life of the secondary receiver. If you have a secondary receiver in Dynasty, he should be on the block. If you've given him multiple seasons to break out, it just hasn't happened yet, that player must be on the block as of February 1 in your Dynasty League. The moment your Dynasty League reopens, every auxiliary passing game option with significant experience in the league should be on the block because those players can be usurped by free agents. They can be supplanted by one of the many quality receivers in the 2020 NFL draft class. Only bad things can happen to Curtis Samuel's value between now and the season starting, if it ever starts. And it's not just Curtis Samuel. It was Robbie Anderson. It was all the way down the list. The Bengals could draft Justin Jefferson. What does that do for Tyler Boyd? Whoops. Oh, but Emmanuel Sanders landed on New Orleans. His values. You get a sneaky, productive season out of Emmanuel Sanders as the clear number two option in that New Orleans passing game, right? Yeah, well, until the draft, until the Saints shock the world and go out and select LaVisca Chenault or Brandon Ayuk, KJ Hamler, then what? Just go down the list of secondary options in passing games. All the way down the list, they are at risk. Jamison Crowder's not. Jamison Crowder is going up. Jamison Crowder's value is going up. Jamison Crowder now has that passing game to himself. It's the least Crowdered passing game in the NFL. Oh, get it? Crowdered? Oh. Okay, the Jets draft a wide receiver in round two or three. Great. Let him start opposite Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder's not going anywhere. Jamison Crowder was a top possession receiver in the NFL before this offseason, and now with Robbie Anderson gone, this is the Jameson Crowder show. Who's going to compete with it? Ryan Griffin? Ryan Griffin? Really? Ryan Griffin runs a 4-9-40. And Jameson Crowder has dynamism. Jameson Crowder was hyperactive in all phases of the game at Duke. That's the reason why we like Jameson Crowder. Going all the way back to his time at Duke. Dynamic score. He was dynamic. And I remember one of the first Dynasty shows we did John Moore from Rotoviz came on and said, pay attention to Jamison Crowder from Duke. The special team's production was impressive as a true freshman at age 18, 936 special teams yards. So I was like, whoa, whoa. He also had three consecutive thousand yard seasons at Duke. So Jamison Crowder is a great football player. And he's 26 years old. He's going to be 27. He's just past the age apex. Don't be surprised when Jamison Crowder posts low end WR2 numbers in fantasy football. You can laugh. I, I know some of you are giggling. You're snickering. I get it. I get it. It's Jamison Crowder. What am I talking about? The Jets could draft Jalen Rager 
And then he's the guy. And then Jamison Crowder's just a secondary option. Sure, yeah, right, yeah. Rookie receivers just going to blot out the sun from Jamison Crowder in year one. Really? You think? If I have Jamison Crowder in my hand on the river, I feel pretty good. I feel good about it. But he's the exception, not the rule. You should be putting players that look like Jamison Crowder on the block in the month of February, knowing that nine times out of ten, when training camp starts, their potential to score fantasy points is worse than it was five months earlier. But I'm excited for this Carolina Panthers team. We finally have a forward-looking college coach bringing in an innovative offensive coordinator, both from the college level. There's a lot at stake in Carolina. We need Carolina to succeed this year to set the standard for other NFL franchises to think more broadly about the possibilities in their front office and on their coaching staffs and stop just recycling the same retread coaches. You look up, you see Ron Rivera getting a head coaching job. You're like, what's happening here? How? How is Bill O'Brien still employed in the NFL? How? How? How was there not a bidding war for Matt Rule? And so far this offseason, Matt Rule's. And now it's going to be Matt Rule, Joe Brady, with Teddy Bridgewater going up against the NFL's old guard in the NFC South. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan. So you have these, these long-time incumbent quarterbacks with their long-time incumbent coaches trying to quell this upstart Carolina Panthers team, and I hope Carolina wins that division. For all of us, I believe in Teddy Bridgewater, and I believe in that coaching staff. Let's go, Panthers! Yeah! But Curtis Samuel's lifetime value, but, but Robbie Anderson's lifetime value, oh, even DJ Moore! His ceiling has been lowered slightly for fantasy football. Don't care! I just want the Carolina Panthers to go win ballgames. Win that division, baby. It's my new favorite team in the NFC. Carolina Panthers for life. And as I mentioned, uh, Jeff Radcliffe and I didn't know Robbie Anderson was going to Carolina at the time of this recording, but otherwise, everything you're about to hear makes perfect sense. And be sure to follow Jeff at Jeff Radcliffe, R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. It is Jeff Radcliffe. It's his second voyage on the Underworld Pod. He is the head of everything at Pro Football Focus Fantasy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Pro Football Focus Fantasy. Look at me. That was a good pronunciation there. (laughs) Jeff Radcliffe, talk to me. You know, back in the day, people used to say Pro Fantasy Focus. They used to come up with all sorts of different uh, uh, names for what PFF stood for. Cause I think people insisted that the fantasy was in there some way, same sh- shape or form. Oh, right. I get it. Yeah. 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 There's an F in there. Maybe it's fantasy. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's spot on and in very important in 2020. We are PFF. Now we are not pro football focus. Uh, per se. We actually have the domain for the longest time. It was profootballfocus.com. Now it's pff.com, which uh, we got from the Pakistani Federation Football League. And Stop no, I am it. not making this up because I am not that creative. Stop yes. it. Yes. So a soccer league in Pakistan used to have pff.com, uh, and now it is ours. So uh, it makes things a little bit easier when you go into your Google and type out the URL. Congratulations. You got it. You got Thank it. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Let me do this. Let me do this. You got the URL. <laughs> 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 
is yours. Love it, man. Who knew? Who knew? I mean, if you gave me Pakistan, 800 guesses. Never, 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 never. Mm -hmm. So speaking of guesses, which was the free agent landing spot that happened in the last two weeks that you could have never guessed? I I mean, if not free agent, but during free agency, nobody would have guessed that Bill O'Brien would have traded DeAndre Hopkins away. But that's, I mean, super low hanging fruit right there. That's the one. That's the one. Just that's crazy. The move. Maybe not free agent per se, but that's the move yeah. that surprised everybody because it was so bad. <laughs> like, there's no other word. Really? I mean, really shockingly bad. You get rid of uh, an elite player in his prime. And replace him with and and not really necessarily the same position, but what you get in return is an aging player who's on the very much downslope of his career. And if you're listening to this pod and you're you're screaming right now, what about the first six weeks of the season? He really wasn't that good. David Johnson, that is over the first six weeks of the season either. He just caught a bunch of footballs, but he really was incredibly inefficient. That's right. As a ball carrier. So. I mean, a huge head scratcher. I love it, though, because I just want to see Arizona get better and better. I I'm excited for this team. I think we saw some nice signs out of Kyler Murray last year. The Cliff Kingsbury offense could be, uh, you know, in, in, it's in year two, uh, a step forward as well. So, hey, for fantasy purposes, I applaud it. They already led the league in plays last year. So as long as they're running all the plays, mm -hmm. I'm happy. Yep, absolutely. David Johnson, he's washed, right? Isn't it a net negative to acquire David Johnson? Shouldn't Arizona have to pay you to take that contract, not you give up DeAndre Hopkins? It was very much an opposite world trade, right? It's hard to remember a worse trade, a more imbalanced trade in the history of the league. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, when you look back on it, maybe something like the RG3 trade, like that at the time seemed like it was it, it made sense. Yeah, I mean, no hindsight, just at the time. Yeah, at the time. One side is getting 95% of the value. The other side are taking on an asset that was underwater. Yeah, exactly. And the thing about David Johnson, too, is like creating after contact. He just was. This is why I, I say that he struggled last year. He was under two yards after contact per attempt in that stretch before he got hurt last season over the first month and a half, give or take. Under two is really bad. Like that Mendoza line in baseball, you know, shout out to everybody who's missing baseball right now. If you're under two, like here's here's a comparison. So, you know, last year uh, we only had a few players who were under that mark. Uh, and one of them may have been the worst pro football running back I've ever seen in Miami. Uh, so that should kind of tell you where we were. You know, he's he's just a tick ahead of Kalen Balaj in terms of uh, after contact production. And then uh, yesterday on Twitter, so at Jeff Rackliff on Twitter, if you're not following me, I put out a tweet in terms of the yards before contact per attempt. So yards before contact, I view that more of an offensive line stat. Now, it's not to say that it's just completely independent of the running back, but good offensive lines in the run game are going to create more space for their running backs than bad offensive lines. And the Arizona Cardinals last year were the number one team in yards before contact per attempt, 2.55. That's a big-time number, They and this is for running back carries only. 
Baltimore was second. We know how good they were in the run game. So Arizona, maybe not the best offensive line on paper, but were creating space for the running backs. For David Johnson, it didn't matter. We see Kenyon Drake go in there, and Kenyon Drake, the meh running back of meh running backs over the last few seasons, sets the world on fire. Even Chase Edmonds, who, you know, hey, a small schooler who I like as a player, but isn't by any means a guy who's going to be a three-down stud, he was outperforming David Johnson and by a wide margin. So, yeah, David Johnson on the downslope. Now, what I will say, though, is this, Matt. Going into Houston, Houston, this is a team where there's plenty of opportunity. We're talking, you know, like over 60% of the carries vacated from last year with Carlos Hyde. Duke Johnson's not going to carry the ball. Old dog, new tricks, not going to work. So David Johnson's going to see a lot of carries if he can stay healthy. And Carlos Hyde is coming off his first 1,000-yard season so the volume is there to at least sustain RB2 production. I'm just not confident in a ceiling out of David Johnson at this point in his career. Juke rate, evaded tackles per touch on player profiler, 14.6%. That was outside the top 50. And if you're outside mm. the top 50 among qualified running backs, you know this, Jeff. Not good. <laughs> There's barely 50 running backs that qualify for any given metric in any given season. So that's terrible the run blocking did improve. The run blocking was better for Drake and for Chase Edmonds than it was for David Johnson. But that's also a function of the running back's ability to set up blocks and function mm -hmm. within the offense as a whole. So part of that, if you're not getting as many yards blocked as the other running backs on your team, it's partly random chance, but it's partly timing. If you have poor timing with your offensive lineman, then it indicates there may be a larger issue at play. It's what happened last year with Royce Freeman versus Philip Lindsay. The reason why Philip Lindsay mm -hmm. was used more like a workhorse than the 225 pound Royce Freeman is because Philip Lindsay had much better timing, especially on that stretch zone with those stretch zone runs than Royce Freeman did. Royce Freeman couldn't get to the edge as fast as Philip Lindsay could. Get to the edge, show some patience, let the blocks get established, then explode upfield. So some of it is on the running back, and it is all an indictment of David Johnson's play from last year. It's terrifying. And in Dynasty, he's a sell-low candidate. If you still somehow have him on your roster, it's sad, but this is the time to use a little bit of a bump, sell the bump, and just get out. I think you get out. I know they don't have a lot of draft picks, but if this is a front office that's willing to just punt DeAndre Hopkins, they don't appreciate that running backs don't matter. They're trading for David Johnson. That also means they could use a pick on maybe not DeAndre Swift, but Keyshawn Vaughn, Joshua Kelly. Antonio Gibson, A.J. Dillon, and those running backs could end up consuming a lot more of those vacated running back touches than David Johnson can this year. So I'm out on David Johnson, man. I'm sorry I'm out. I can't do it. I can't do it! Kenyon Drake, though. I mean, Kenyon Drake, if the run blocking is there and the tempo is there and the scoring chances are there, why won't Kenyon Drake be an RB1 in fantasy this year? I, I mean, hey, the only reason is if he if he slips into that wild inconsistency. And, and let's be clear, he may have won you a fantasy championship last year, but there was there was still inconsistency with the Cardinals. Uh, it wasn't just in his time with Miami. 
But that being said, right now, I actually just updated rankings today post-free agency and have him at 13. So he's right on the cusp. It's a volume play. He's so close. So close. And yet he was so volatile. Seven points, nine points, 39 points, 33 points, 17 points, 10 points. It's weird. That's the challenge, though, with season-long. The the season-long rankings hide the volatility quite often. That's why I I really recommend that folks don't just get a a list of rankings and draft straight on down that list because you may not like what you end up with. It's not something I I do. The only reason why I do the rankings is because I'm forced to do it. I'm forced to put a player in a particular position. But when you look at it from more of a tier-based approach, like, yes, he's going to be a major risk-reward fringe RB1. And are you willing to take on that risk early in the draft? Because, I mean, hey, if he's a 13th running back, when does he come off the board? Late second round, very likely, you know, with the way that running backs are drafted. Maybe he slides a little bit further, but you're still going to have to spend an early round pick on this guy. Do you want to take on that sort of volatility with a guy, by the way, who a lot of people still have negativity towards, right? The never drafting him again guy. So if you draft a player, you say you're never drafting again. No matter what that player does, you're going to hate him, right? Because if he has a good game, you're always waiting for the next shoe to drop and and for the bad game to come. And if he has a bad game, you say, see, I told you. It's the Mike Evans effect. Everybody hates Mike Evans because no matter what he does, it's always either we're one step away from disaster or the disaster just happened and see, I told you. He's being drafted at slot 21.4 in FFPC High Stakes Best Ball Leagues. That is up six slots post-trade. So he's going to be a mid-second rounder by the time traditional fantasy leagues start drafting. And that's where he should go. I think that's where he should go. I don't hate Kenyon Drake. I don't love Kenyon Drake. But I like running backs in fantasy point scoring situations. And it's hard to find a better situation as we've laid it out for Kenyon Drake in 2020 better than Austin Eckler even who do you got Austin Eckler or Kenyon Drake I actually have Eckler a tick ahead uh, one spot so it's pretty close full transparency I have not seen your rankings before this you just updated them this is a great mind situation we're seeing right here Absolutely. And I think that's a great debate. And I think it also is something to note. You know, sometimes I'll have people on Twitter where like, you know, in this instance here, if I had Drake ahead of Eckler by one spot, they'll be like, how could you do that? You know, Eckler is way behind Drake. It's like, well, or he's behind him, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. It's a great debate. Whatever. I don't really care if it's if it's one spot, though. Sometimes that one spot isn't dramatic. Now, if I had Drake 15 spots ahead of Eckler and you said, you know, Eckler's ahead of Drake. All right. Now, now we're in for a big argument. But here it's super close. Now, I'm why am I positioning Eckler ahead? Uh, Well, we 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 saw elite production out of him and it was more sustained elite production than Drake. Now, let's be clear that as of now, it's Rod Taylor under center. It is a big downgrade in terms of the overall outlook of the offense. However, I'm a firm believer that Terod Taylor is not going to be under center when the season starts, whether it is a rookie, you know, whether it's Tua uh, or whether it's Cam Newton. I, I don't think it's going to be Terod Taylor. So I think Eckler is going to be just fine. Lots of volume there. Yes, we'll see Justin Jackson in the run game. But Eckler, with what he adds in the passing game, with how dynamic he is, just a tick ahead, a little bit more consistent than Drake, so just a tick ahead for me. 
Well, yeah, Austin Eckler had his own 30-point performances, but then he followed them up with a 23-point performance and then a 29-point performance yep. and then a 25-point performance. So you don't see the volatility with Austin Eckler like you do with Kenyon Drake, but I do think that the offenses are moving in opposite directions where the Chargers offense is going to be degraded, the Cardinals offense will be enhanced slightly, and that's why we have a debate. It's a great debate. What about the debate between Todd Gurley versus Melvin Gordon? Yeah, I don't know if this one is as great, unfortunately. It's not as good. It's not as good. But it's it's interesting. It is. Um, I, I do have a social experiment. Whenever we're allowed to go out in public again and, and things are normal, uh, here's what we'll, we're going to do. We're going to go into a public space where there's a lot of people, and we're just going to say the name out loud. we say, Todd Gurley, and wait for the response because at least – well, it depends on how many people are there. At least one person, let's say this, is going to say, yeah, but his knees are shot. They're going to immediately respond with that, right? And the reality is that Todd Gurley's knees, oh, sure, he's got knee issues, whatever. But his offensive line was really shot last year. And that was a big part of the problem that is getting overlooked. Now, it's not like Atlanta is that much better, a little bit better in the run game, but not much. But The key here is the opportunity is going to be there. A lot of vacated touches with Devontae Freeman out of the mix. Ito Smith is Ito Smith. We know what he is. So Gurley in a potent offense with a lot of opportunity, I think he's going to be able to sustain more value this year than Melvin Gordon, who steps into a really awkward situation. Terrible. A team that's almost, it's like a quasi-rebuild. You have a, a completely full uh, running back room, and if you're talking vacated touches, there's if you if you exclude Devonte Booker, there's one percent of the carries are vacated and seven percent of the, the receptions. So there's not enough balls to go around there. I think Gordon can still be an RB two, but I'd rather have Gurley. And I know that people are everybody can can stay down on Gurley. This is a hundred percent right. This was a great take. You nailed it. That's right. That's right. All of Todd Gurley's efficiency problems from 2019 being attributed to his knees is one of the most uh, dramatic mischaracterizations of cause and effect I've seen in fantasy analysis the last six months. It's weird. Yeah, it's not even analysis. Lack thereof. The nameless, faceless fantasy gamer seems to just want to latch on to an answer. And if a narrative is out there and is prevalent, that's just that's the answer. That's the reason. Instead of taking a step back and saying, the reason why all these guys in the Rams underperformed last year is because the offense just wasn't good, and it started with the offensive line. They went from having the best offensive line in the sport to one of the worst offensive lines in the sport, and when they lost Roger Saffold to the Titans, that was the signal. That was the signal. Everything you know about Todd Gurley's past efficiency, everything you know about Jared Goff's ability to throw the ball, especially downfield to players like Brandon Cooks, is all in question now. As Andrew Whitworth crosses over into his late 30s, Roger Saffold leaves. It's not anything close to the same offensive line, and that is really the engine of the efficiency. And when you lose that, all you have is volume, and then you're really subject to the whims of the offense and whether or not you get a goal line carry in a particular situation or you don't. You saw what happened with Leonard Fournette last year. They had very few goal line carries at all, and when they were close, they threw a fade to DJ Chark. 
Is that his fault? Not necessarily. I love the fact that he got the volume. He just wasn't efficient with it because no one could in that situation. The same thing applies to Todd Gurley. And these are two of the most notoriously injury-prone players, in quotes, the last five years. But when I actually look at the documented injuries, especially in the lower body, Melvin Gordon has more of those instances than Todd Gurley. So get out of here with that. And not that it's not relevant. I mean, he's clearly not the same player, but it's not the reason. He's not washed. He's not David Johnson, for Christ's sake. Sorry. (laughs) It's all right, man. The Rams showed last year they could do one thing, and that was it. They could beat cover three. (laughs) <laughs> but that's not – they weren't really beating it, I guess I could say. They could play against cover three because you throw to the short and intermediate. And that that's a whole reason for Tyler Higby, by the way, down the stretch. They basically played defenses one after another who played cover three. So, of course, Higby was going to be open. And, you know, to a lesser extent, Cooper Cup during the season, uh, they took advantage of that as well. But they had no field stretcher. Uh, they really weren't able. You said Jared Goff, he could not throw the ball downfield whatsoever, and they couldn't run the football. But I did I did um, talk to an unnamed Rams assistant coach at the Combine who seemed to give a vote of confidence to Tyler Higby being really the guy. They're not going to try and force this Gerald everything down our throats uh, anymore. So that's good news there because Higby – we knew he was a good player at the college level, good pass catcher at the college level, and he just wasn't allowed to be featured until he finally got that opportunity. He he was phenomenal down the stretch. Oh, he was amazing. And bushy eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone with big bushy eyebrows has a vote of confidence from the podfather who has his own bushy eyebrows. Now, more nervous on draft day. If you're in the shoes of Darrell Henderson or Devin Singletary, who should be more nervous? Henderson, not even close to me. I think this is almost like a given that the Rams are going to address the position now. Yep. Uh, he is not a true three-down back. He's best suited to to being a change-of-pace guy. And Sean McVay even said as much. Uh, you know, the way I view him is they tried this with a day-three guy in John Kelly, and it didn't work. Well, it worked in the preseason initially, but it didn't work. So then they went with a day-two guy in Henderson to try and get that change of pace spark, but they really don't have, I'm not buying in on Malcolm Brown being the guy. They don't have a guy who can carry the workload in the run game. So I think they address the position. Whereas Singletary, that, that dude, you know, he may be, he's, he's probably going to come off the board right around 2018, somewhere 18, 19, 20, 20th running back. That is. And I think that may end up, we may end up looking back and saying that that was a little undervalued. Oh, really? He's he's in a very nice position. I, I like Singletary a lot. So the idea that the Buffalo Bills were interested in signing Melvin Gordon, you think that was smoke? I didn't buy it at the time. Of course, I also didn't buy the Broncos, so well, yeah, I don't know what right. that, that, what that says about that. me. But yeah, exactly. So I, I think it was a little bit of smoke. I think Singletary, with what he showed last year, how explosive he was. I mean, I mean he was ripping off long runs at at one of the highest rates in the league. It was him and Raheem Mostert really were like the two uh, highest, way higher than than some of the elites like Christian McCaffrey. 
I, I just think there's so much there with him, and he can be a three-down guy in that offense. So I, I'm pushing the chips in on, on Singletary, whereas Henderson, I saw a lot of people saying Henderson's season. I think that's just, you know, it's great for to get a little bit of buzz on Twitter, but the reality is I think we might be misleading people if we're actually expecting that. I don't expect it for Henderson. My problem with Devin Singletary are those long runs. It's similar to the Aaron Jones unsustainable touchdown rate. Devin Singletary's unsustainable breakaway run rate, 7.3%, was number three in the NFL among qualified running backs. That's not sustainable. But what is sustainable is the offensive line. To be top 15 in run-blocking efficiency, that is going to carry over unless they lose personnel. And right now, the Buffalo Bills are investing in the offense. They're not divesting. So I like that. I like the situation for Devin Singletary, especially if he dodges the NFL draft. I just don't think a player that's 205 pounds without significant speed or burst is going to be able to replicate the big play ability that he showed last year. A lot of times, you know, you'll see players incredible efficiency in a partial season. I tend to want to wait to see it play out in a full season before I anoint them the next Devonte Freeman, right? Devonte Freeman had incredible vision and feel that seems to be what Devin Singletary has. I just want to see it for a full season, and then I'll anoint him, and I might miss out on some value in 2020, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You're cool with that, right? Honestly, I have, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Um, it happens to all of us, and we have to take our stands. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's your team, you know, your team that you're drafting. And as I just said earlier, I, I find that so many folks who play in home leagues do this where they draft guys who they're either unsure of or they just simply don't like. And and the reality is we're supposed to have a little bit of fun with this fantasy stuff as well. So if you if you have a take on a guy where you don't, you know, if you're in Matt's position and you say, hey, I, I just don't know if we can necessarily go that far with him. Absolutely. Have him a little bit lower on your board than than somebody like, you know, how I'm going to have maybe a, a tick higher on my board. Uh, and I may end up with more shares of him. I, I have no issue with that. As long as the thought process is there, no issue. Now, Darius Geis, he's going off the board at slot 78. Is that good value? <sighs> this is a tough one. I mean, this is a tough player to figure out. We know what we're getting. It's just a, a series of bad luck, but eventually the bad luck just mounts up when it comes to running back injuries where you, you almost can't trust him. It's just every time he's on the field, he looks so freaking good. He's so good, Jeff. He's so good. He really is. He's just good. It's the worst luck. Yeah, and he's better in the passing game than what we saw. We didn't really see in the college level. Better in the passing game than a lot of people expected. So good. And I think this team, you know, I'm not a huge Ron Rivera guy, but I think that there's going to be more stability with Washington uh, going forward, and I think that that ultimately helps guys. I know me. I'm a guys supporter, almost you know borderline truther with guys. Right. I don't know if we can be a truther with a guy that big or that you know that well known. But well, we're we're entering that territory, Jeff. Okay, well then then call me a truther. We're entering that territory. You need to be a truther. I mean, high stakes leagues. They're not drafting him until the seventh round. I mean, come on. This is a starting running back with a full-blown, explosive workhorse profile. He just doesn't have the team. The argument against him as much as the knees, MCL sprain, meniscus tear, and ACL tear in less than two seasons. So in the span of 20 months, MCL, meniscus, ACL, that's a big concern. The bigger concern 
is Washington's offense. From the quarterback to the offensive line, that's the biggest concern. That's what Todd Gurley has working in his favor, and that's what Darius Geis has working against him. Now, with Ronald Jones, it's interesting. There's a number of running backs that are in interesting situations. It's not interesting to talk about Derrick Henry. Like We know what we saw from Derrick Henry last year was as good as it gets, and he can't possibly be as good this year. You don't, you don't need to go to the Roto Underworld radio program for that level of analysis. Right? We didn't have Jeff Radcliffe to come on and talk about Derrick Henry. But Ronald Jones is interesting because he's the number one on that depth chart, but now they have to protect a statue quarterback in Tom Brady, and that's where Ronald Jones has face-palmed the most the last two seasons was in pass protection, right? How does pro football focus rate Ronald Jones in pass pro? Uh, I know it wasn't good. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Because if it's Tom Brady, I feel like that matters. I abhor the pass pro talk, especially with satellite backs. Just let them Oof. run a route. Oof. But in this particular case, I think we're in a situation where we need to talk about it. On the season, the season grade on a 0 to 100 scale, 38.4. Oh, no. Um. <laughs> that that's not good <laughs> oh god ronald ronald i don't have it on yeah ronald there you go jesus ronald i don't have the the overall on the entire position but it's super low down i, I mean that's just that's poor for god's sake block somebody ronald god damn it it's tom brady we're talking about here is that your bruce arians from the sideline just yelling and screaming <laughs> Do you know who Tom Brady is? He's the greatest football player of all time. You're going to get him killed, Ronald. You know, you get a vaudevillian cane, just pull him off the field. That's my worry with Ronald Jones. It's fair, right? Completely fair. Completely fair. It's the first time I've ever been really worried about pass pro my entire life with a running back. And I think I think it's fair to to reason that they may address the position. I mean, there are uh, two picks on day two, 45th overall, 76th overall, uh, there's going to be running backs coming off the board left and right on day two. That could be a possibility. Be nervous, Ronald. It's a luxury pick for some teams, but Tampa is obviously in a Super Bowl window here because they're not bringing Brady in for the long haul. Uh, this is a play to, to to capitalize on a really good surrounding cast and hopefully you know make make a run here. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they address the position. Now, who is that player? I know who it is. Local boy. Cam Akers, Mr. Cameron Akers. Measured out bigger than I expected at the Combine. You know, oh, watching yeah. him had that little bit of that scat back look to him. But, man, he he's a bigger guy. And I was actually pretty impressed with that. Mo ended up moving him up in my rookie rankings after the Combine. Now, I don't use the Combine to dramatically adjust things. But just a, a, a subtle move uh, for Cam Akers based on what we saw there, based on how he tested uh, right now, Cam Akers coming in at five among rookie running backs for me. We have him at three. We have him just ahead of Dobbins because he comps very closely to Ezekiel Elliott. This guy is the truth, and he was conspired against the college level. He had the worst offensive line in Division One. And if you're going to go out and you're going to produce 1,000-plus yard season, 30-plus receptions, in one of the worst situations for a college running back, you have to put that in context. And when you're weighing that against the J.K. Dobbins, who's operating as part of this Ohio State juggernaut, I almost think you got to throw the production out. How can you even compare the two? It's not even fair to Cam Akers to throw 
J.K. Dobbins counting stats in his face. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? It's not even relevant. You realize what I was dealing with at Florida State? Fuck out of here. I don't know why I acted that out, but I can imagine. <laughs> what about Godwin and Evans? Are they happy that it's going to be Tom Brady under center? I know they want to go to the playoffs, so they're happy about that. But if they have themselves in fantasy leagues, are they happy? I think Godwin more than Evans. You know, That's right. We have this sort of like double whammy slot receiver in a Bruce Arians offense, slot receiver in a Tom Brady offense. Like Both of them do pretty well, so... Whatever hybrid, I'm assuming it's going to be more Brady than Arians concept. Whatever hybrid we're looking at here in this Bucks offense, it's good for Chris Godwin. And I think he's the type of player, unlike what we saw. I mean, Julian, Julian Edelman's super athletic, but Chris Godwin's just, I mean, he's bigger. He's bigger and super athletic. You know, oh, Brady yeah. isn't, hasn't had a slot receiver like this. No. So I, I love that. Evans... As a downfield guy who makes his bones, you know, 16, 16 and a half yards downfield on average, not as good. But at the same time, something that Brady was lacking last year was a, a true red zone presence. And that's where Evans obviously is going to excel. 14 end zone targets for him last year. He's always among the league leaders in that area. So that'll be helpful. So I don't think it's a complete death knell for Evans whatsoever. But it's not great. It's not great. Evans helps Brady significantly. Evans helps Brady more than Chris Godwin helps Brady, but Brady helps Godwin more than he helps Evans for fantasy football. Get your head around that one. And Evans could be more, a little bit more consistent, a little less volatility, because the problem with Jameis, any week Evans could th he could score 35 PPR points or literally zero. Like <laughs> The floor was as low as it got. I remember that week. Yep, a lot of people do. I don't think that the floor is zero anymore with Brady there, but granted, it's it's not his floor isn't as high as as Godwin. I, I just love Chris Godwin and Brady Brady helps. Chris Godwin's the number two receiver in dynasty leagues, just behind Michael Thomas. Where do you have him in seasonal leagues? Uh right now I have him in my uh ranking update at and this is what we call the stretch in the biz. At six. Um, That's so fair. here's my top top six, and it's super close. Thomas, uh, Adams, Hill, Hopkins, Julio, Godwin. And, I, and if, if you flip-flop Godwin ahead of Julio, I'm not going to argue there. No. You agree with Godwin at two in Dynasty? Absolutely. Good. Good. Because you know your stuff. Phillip Rivers, Indianapolis. What's the general ramification for the offense? What are the general ramifications for the offense? Because I feel like, hey, he arrives in Indianapolis. He's like, oh, Paris Campbell, I can work with this. Oh, Naheem Hines, I can work with this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you can replicate some of the things you were doing with Austin Eckler. Jack Doyle, a, you know, a catch and fall down tight end, but a, a, a guy with reliable hands. We know how Rivers loves the tight end, so that helps. If T.Y. could stay healthy as well, I mean, that was – that was so the thing, big. you know, T.Y. with luck, awesome. T.Y. without luck, yeah, like a really volatile back-end wide receiver, too, who you probably didn't want to roll out there. Now this could help, you know, you know, bridge that gap. I mean, Rivers threw for 4,600 yards last year. Did he really? Which still kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Wow. A lot of that was yak because his arm strength is not what it was. No, not at all. But you can get some yak when you have guys like you just mentioned, Paris Campbell. You can get some yak there. You can get some yak with Hines. Big time. Even T.Y. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I like it for Indianapolis. I'm interested to see where Brissett lands. If he's the backup and he has to wait another year to be the starter again, and that's fine. Hit the reset button. That's fine. 
Teddy Bridgewater went through this. Now Teddy Bridgewater is the starting quarterback, and he has the best yak receivers in the business. Given his weaponry, who you got this year? Bridgewater or Tannehill? Tannehill. Unless the the star of the XFL, P.J. Walker, is able to surprise the world, the Temple University graduate that he is now. I, I kid, but uh, now here's the thing: Teddy has never shown a high ceiling, no. right? He's a he's a low A dot guy. He's he's a game manager type. But you mentioned the explosive weapons, and I'm also really curious: like, what does Joe Brady look like? With his offense in the NFL, because we saw last year that was unreal, the LSU offense. So what does that look like here? Teddy's intriguing. When I run the numbers for Teddy from a projection standpoint, he comes out pretty close to Tannehill. Now, the thing is, I'm going to say Tannehill. It is close for me, but I'm going to say Tannehill because we have more of a proven commodity. I mean, there are points where Tannehill – now, granted, sustainability, no – He's definitely coming back to the pack this year, but he showed he has an elite ceiling. We've never really seen that sort of ceiling out of Teddy. Granted, you know, Minnesota earlier in his career, we weren't going to see that, but we didn't see it last year in New Orleans either. So leaning slightly towards Tannehill. The argument for Teddy would be it's the best possible skill match he could have ever found himself in with essentially three hybrid receivers. Samuel played running back in college. Christian McCaffrey would be one of the best receivers in the NFL if he played that position. And DJ Moore is the best yak receiver in the league. So if you're going to keep the ball in and around the line of scrimmage, no better place to go than Carolina. That's the argument. But with Tannehill, he actually did it. So that's the most important thing. And then he also has a guy named A.J. Brown, another guy named Jonu Smith. So I think he's going to be fine. It's not like he lacks weapons. If anything, if a diminished run game efficiency would actually skew more pass attempts over to Tannehill, and perhaps the increased pass volume might offset a loss of efficiency. He'll never replicate last year's efficiency. The team in general, it's just not possible to replicate that level of efficiency. He doesn't have to, especially if the run game isn't what it was. You know, more third downs, more Tannehill, that helps him offset it. It's a tough one. Cam Newton, where do you want him to land? Where do you, where do you, Jeff Radcliffe, want him to land? where do I want him to land? Where do you want him to go? The Patriots would be amazing because enough people hate Cam and hate the Patriots. I think the entire universe would implode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate Vortex would open up in Foxborough. Total hate. Total hate Vortex. I do think it probably is more likely it's the Chargers. And the Redskins, obviously, even though they've kind of backed off of that a little bit, you have to at least include them in the equation because of Rivera. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if if it's really where do I want him to go? Yes, I would love to see him in a Patriots uniform, just for the storylines alone. That that gives me so much content. Yeah, <laughs> to- please help us, Bill. If you're listening, please help us. We're all struggling. The world <laughs> is in trouble. We need positive narratives and comedy, and nothing would be better. The articles write themselves, Bill. Please help us. Please help us generate content and uplift society. That that would be it. That would be so perfect. I want that to happen. I never thought about the Hate Vortex. That's the name of the show. Cam Newton, Hate Vortex. We found the name of the show. With Washington, I don't think Ron Rivera likes Cam Newton. Cam Newton, you know, is averse 
to authority. That's why I'm not sure it would work out in New England, because unless he's changed his whole attitude, he has operated separate and apart from the team and interacted as little as possible with the coaches. That's been his reputation. And and in any behind-the-scenes filming that's been done by NFL Films and others, it's been apparent, it's striking, that he doesn't even stretch with the team. It's weird. It is odd. I, it's not to say that he can he can change that. You know, it's, it, it, is, is it a complete impossibility that he changes? I, I don't think so. It's, it's a weird situation. It's it, To me, if you had told me this time last year that we were going to be talking about Cam Newton not being a starter potentially in 2020 and Jameis Winston throwing for 5,000 yards and then also possibly not being a starter in 2020, probably not being a starter in 2020, I would have said you were crazy, but this is the reality. Remember, when the, the NFL was starved for quarterbacks a few years ago. There are very few vacant seats right now, very few viable spots where you could be a starter. It's just kind of crazy how things have changed. It's good for the league, no doubt about it, but bad for those two. Life comes at you fast if you're planet Earth, and life comes at you fast if you're Cam Newton. Another great question. When you saw the show sheet, you thought to yourself, there's a lot of great questions here. Reading your mind. I know it. I know that's what you were thinking. Great questions. Woke up the next morning more disappointed. Stephon Diggs finding himself in Buffalo, or Christian Kirk finding himself lacking any possibility of becoming a number one option? Well, if that was Kirk's anticipation, then I would go with him because I don't, I, I'm not as down on digs to Buffalo as I think a lot of other people are. And it's simply for the fact that Josh Allen loves to throw the ball downfield. Now, is he very accurate? No, he is not. But sometimes he has the ability to make the most impossible throws look super routine and the most routine throws look super impossible. So the impossible <laughs> throws is what I'm trying to capitalize on here with Diggs. Yeah. Diggs is not going to be consistent week over week. I don't think anybody was anticipating that. But, I mean, he goes to a situation where I think he will see a slight uptick in last season's target volume. He didn't even hit 100 targets last season. So I don't think he's – unless he really hates the cold, I don't think he's as disappointed – as Kirk, if Kirk was expecting to be the number one. Now, if I'm Kirk, though, I'm thinking, oh, wait, we got that guy? All right, I'm going to be open all day long because they're going to be they're going to have their focus on that guy over there. So I don't know if, if that was his vantage point, then maybe he's happy here. In, in a world where we're seeking the vacated targets to add 150 targets to your passing game, that hurts your fantasy value. Necessarily, it does. It's a fallacy that by adding a target hog, that it helps the other receivers any increase in efficiency is going to be wiped out by the volume loss absolutely but you could see him thriving in that offense just based on the fact that they throw so much and it will help his target separation so with christian kirk he's a very safe bet in the later rounds to return value this may suppress his adp to a point where he becomes one of the best values in round 10 11 he lost 15 slots in FFPC drafts just in the last week. He's now going at slot 108. That feels like a value to me. There's upside if there's an injury ahead of him, and his position in that offense gives him a nice floor as well. I mean, I think we could see him being a a version of a Michael Gallup to Amari Cooper. You know, Michael Gallup certainly benefits there in that offense. That's right. In that number two role. And and I'm not saying produce exactly what Gallup produced last year, but 
would it be entirely shocking if we look back at the end of the season and Christian Kirk's a top 36 guy? I, I don't think at all. And you're not going to have to pay that price for him. So I agree. That's that's a beauty, too. We have to peg some of these guys in these optimal situations for those middle round or late middle round or early late round, however you want to call that 9, 10, 11 part of the fantasy draft. Right. And Kirk's going to be one of those guys. Better bet right now for an older receiver who enhanced their value in free agency. It's got to be Emmanuel Sanders and Randall Cobb. They enhanced their value. It's hard to move teams and actually improve your chances of scoring fantasy points in the next season. But in the case of Emmanuel Sanders, in the case of Randall Cobb, I think they did. Who did better? It's tough. I mean, I would... I want Will Fuller to stay healthy. I think I have to preface this. I want Will Fuller to stay healthy. If he could stay healthy, then everything changes for me. Because if he doesn't stay healthy... Where do the targets go? I, I really don't see Kenny Stills as like a 10-target-per-game guy. Granted, I don't really see that with Cobb either, but there's opportunity there. Whereas with Sanders, I mean, we know where 30-plus percent of the targets are going to go no matter what in that offense. Michael Thomas is going to see a ton. But then there's kind of nobody else at wide receiver. Granted, you're getting 20-plus percent going to Kamara and what, like 17, 18 percent going to Jared Cook, maybe even more than that. So it's not a ton of meat on the bone, but going from a situation in San Francisco where it was very clear he didn't fit what they were really trying to accomplish in that offense by, you know, down the stretch there to a situation where he gets to play with, with Drew Brees. I think you, you really, if you're saying who improved the most, then Sanders, his stock went up. I'm just not overly bullish on a 33-year-old wide, wide receiver but then again, not overly bullish on Randall Cobb either. So for me, Manny Sanders, but probably two guys I'm not going to be drafting much of in 2020. Want me to blow your mind right now? You ready to have your mind blown? Let's go for it. Randall Cobb is 29 years old. <laughs> That's a, it's like Todd Gurley is 25. What? <laughs> like, How really? is this possible? He's only 29. And the Texans have very few draft picks. So Cobb could emerge post-NFL draft with a significant role in a prolific offense. I like it for Cobb. I really do. He's not anyone that you should like. But he's only 29 years old, and he was competing with Cooper and Gallup last year, and he had some boom weeks. So it's not over for Randall Cobb. Not yet. Pretty much, though. It's pretty much over. It's pretty much over. What about Robbie Anderson? Robbie Anderson doesn't have a job. Why? Asking price. Twelve to fifteen million if if that is in fact what he is asking. Allen Robinson makes fourteen million a year. Stephon Diggs, fourteen and a half million. And those are fairly recent contracts there. Robbie Anderson's not giving you what those guys are giving you. Uh he's a field stretcher who is out of position as a as a as a X, as a as a, you know, the number one wide out on that team. And I just don't see him getting that sort of uh, of money. So this happens every year with these guys who ask too much. They don't go in the first wave of free agency. We'll we'll see him sign. He's going to land somewhere, but he's probably not going to get close to this asking price. I mean, hey, it's 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 a landing spot thing. Like if you're to tell me right now he lands with like the Eagles, then yeah, I'm I'm in. If he lands somewhere else where it's not as good of a situation, then then we're not going to be in. So we're wait and see mode with Robbie. We want him to go to the Eagles, we want him to go to the Packers, and then it gets significantly worse after that. But what about Sam Darnold? Who is he going to throw to? 
What's going on? Jameson Crowder, <laughs> the Crowder truthers out there. Uh, yeah, it's it's ugly. I don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know if they know what they're doing, but you have this young up-and-comer, and, and Darnold has shown flashes so far in his his early career. You just get him get him that guy. There's They don't have that guy on the roster right now. They have a whole bunch of slot receivers, basically. They do, and Darnold was the youngest player, the youngest quarterback in NFL history to start a football game. And then he showed flashes in his rookie year, so he's been efficient during periods of the season, just not for a full season. And I know I want to see it, like I said before, with Devin Singletary, you want to see it for a full season. But the thing with Sam Darnold is he's younger now than Carson Wentz was when he was coming into the league. So it's difficult to judge his lack of production and efficiency the last couple of seasons, given his age, given that he should have been in college during those years. So that's why I give Sam Darnold the benefit of the doubt. And the Jets need to be drafting wide receiver in the second round. That needs to be their target. Henry Ruggs is being mocked in New York. Please don't do that. Please don't do it. Please, please, Jets, draft someone that can be a consistent target, not Henry fucking Ruggs. Please. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, of all the players, please. Denzel Mims, that would be nice, right? Wouldn't that be a nice addition for Sam Darnold? I would like it. I, I don't. He's not going to make it to the second round. Wow, Denzel Mims is going to be in the first round. Ah, uh, there's a team picking at thirty that would make a lot of sense for him. Oh snap! That's amazing. Denzel Mims in the first round. <laughs> Dude, how far have we come, Jeff? Since the Senior Bowl, now this guy's getting talked about as a first round pick. That makes me so happy. Love Denzel Mims. Yeah. A close comparable to guess who? Chris Godwin. Mm. That's it. I could see it. Size, speed. Your guy, Chris Godwin, has a comp. Yeah, I could see it. And that would, that would look really good in a Green Bay Packers uniform. Ooh, that's another one. That's another one. Stay with the green. I'm on a roll with great questions. now. So now I'm cherry-picking my best questions. Here's one. Better player. In a vacuum, you're starting a franchise today. Forget fantasy football. You want James Washington or do you want Deontay Johnson? I don't think this one's close. Uh, it's Deontay Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, Deontay Johnson, much much more polished route runner. Uh, you know, there's times, and 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 I want to be clear with this comp because I you can say comps, people take a soundbite, they misconstrue it. There's times last season, if you looked at – Antonio Brown's rookie season, okay? I'm not talking about his entire career. (laughs) I'm talking about his rookie season when people did not know that he was going to be as good as he was. There were times where Johnson's performance, Johnson on the field, looked very similar to A.B. early in his career. That's not to say, hey, hey, A.B. got to where he did out a lot of hard work as well. It's not to say that Johnson gets to that point, but... There's a lot more similarity there, a lot more to like there than Washington, who for me, I think he's going to be a decent field stretcher. You know, he's he, that's what he was for the for the most part at the college level, and he can serve that role for that team, but he's not as complete of a wide receiver as Johnson. James Washington is strong at the catch point. He has some skills and some strengths. I get it. But the slow field stretcher archetype, does not have legs in the NFL. That's not a guy that you look up in five years and he's still productive. That type of player often comes and goes. The fly-by-night fantasy asset, especially for Dynasty, there's enthusiasm about James Washington. 
Many loved what they saw from him at Oklahoma State, so that's why I asked the question, but it's clearly Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson is a player, and you look at his special teams performance in college, that's the same reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted Antonio Brown, is they saw real dynamism from Antonio Brown at Central Michigan, especially in the return game and taking handoffs in the backfield. Same was true for Deontay Johnson, and they are on similar career paths. Deontay Johnson is also protected by Juju Smith-Schuster from the NFL draft. That's one of the last teams you could imagine using early-round draft capital on a wide receiver, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But other young wide receivers are more vulnerable to the NFL draft. Can you think of a young ascending wide receiver you think could have his heart broken when his team drafts wide receiver in round one or two? Well, Alan Lazard, sure, if, I, if we get Mims, but not that he's like a bigger name. Poor Alan Lazard. I like him. Yeah, right. He's the one that prevented Hakeem Butler from breaking out earlier. So I respect that. And they drafted three wideouts in that class, and now he's ahead of all three of those wideouts going undrafted. I love that, man. This is the meritocracy we live in, America. I think Cortland Sutton, though, is the interesting one. Coming off this this you know breakout Ooh. year, so Ooh. to speak, what if they draft, and a lot of folks are, dra- are mocking wide receiver to Denver in round one, what if they drafted CeeDee Lamb? Like, <laughs> That, that certainly changes the outlook for Cortland Sutton it does. Uh, in the short and long term. Oh, it does. That would be bad. Very bad. It's the concept we talked about. Target competition kills. Yep. I don't like that at all. Oh, gross. Gross. No, Cortland. No, don't let it happen. DJ Chark, same thing. Mm-hmm. DJ Chark and Cortland Sutton are on these parallel tracks. They look like NFL alphas. They played like NFL alphas last year. They just need to survive this draft. (laughs) And then they can blossom for a second straight season, and then it's indisputable. But they need that final season to become fully established, make the Pro Bowl, and lock in a second contract. All those young wide receiver bucket list items. And the NFL draft kind of hangs their fate in the balance there. With the running back position, when you're looking at the NFL draft, we talked about Cam Akers. Where do you have... Clyde Edwards Hilaire because you necessarily have him in your top four if Akers is number five where does he fit in vis-a-vis Dobbins Taylor and Swift so he is four okay Taylor to me is essentially in his own tier now after seeing him in person after seeing the testing after going back through the numbers the only concern that I would have for dynasty purposes and I think it's a a mild concern, but it's a concern we need to mention nonetheless, is the fact that, you know, he had so much wear and tear at the college level, but he's he's a stud. He's for me, I don't think there should be a debate at this point as to the number one player in this this year's class. There isn't. Yeah, it's clearly Taylor. The fact that you saw him at the combine yeah. is comforting too, that you saw it and you're like, Oh yeah, this is this is the guy. I mean, it, it, when you compared him when he was standing next to uh Edwards Hilaire or even next to Dobbins. Like, he's a lot bigger than those guys, yeah. especially Edwards Hilaire. And, and, you know, he just looked like a three down running back the NFL level. I mean, and I know people are going to question a little bit his ability in the passing game. But, um, you know, he did have the uptick last season. I think he's going to be just fine there. Edwards Hilaire is interesting. I, It's hard to truly evaluate players from that team because of how good that team was last year. That's right. It's just 
I've been struggling. I struggled with with Justin Jefferson as well because you know I it was it was not only that it was the switch to the slot and then you know at least his four his his forty time did. Uh, eliminate some of my fears, my reserves about him. Because if he went out and ran like a four five eight, then I was going to be way down on him. But um, Edwards Hilaire, I, I think we're we're going to see a guy who's going to have an opportunity out the gate. Uh, from a comp standpoint, I went through some of the numbers that we have at PFF. So yards after contact per attempt over his career, three point four two, and then force missed tackle rate of twenty nine percent. That's most similar numbers in recent history. People may not like because it's David Montgomery at 3.50 and then 33%. Pretty similar from a grading standpoint as well. Career grade of 91.8 for Edwards Alaire, 92.2 for Montgomery. This is college Montgomery. This is not David Montgomery with the Chicago Bears last season, who everybody's disappointed in. So I don't think we should we should jump to that conclusion. But um, after seeing the size thing is the big concern that I have, though. When you're a 5'7, 207. That just doesn't scream three down fantasy back to me. No, no. He's a combination of David Montgomery and James White. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I don't think he can be ranked ahead of Cam Akers for that reason. I think the Cam Akers ceiling is so much higher. That's why I would argue Cam Akers should be on a Mount Rushmore with the other three. And then you have Clyde Edwards Hilaire as that number five back in his own tier. That's how I look at it. But I certainly have him ahead of uh, Zach Moss and and the others like A.J. Dillon and Keyshawn Vaughn. What do you think about Zach Moss? The film grinders love him. I'm not sure how NFL scouts feel about him. This feels like a little bit of a Hakeem Butler from last year where the, the film scouts seem to think he's a top guy. And then we look up and he's not drafted until day three. That seems like a possibility with Zach Moss, post-combine especially. Yeah, that that would make sense. Uh, PFF really our our graders loved him as well but you know he took such a a big step forward after you know a fairly solid start to his career but a big step forward last year I mean 4.5 4.45 yards after contact per attempt so he was elite in that metric mm-hmm. it's just though when a guy goes out and he runs 472 now I don't think you have to be a 44 guy certainly regardless of your size uh, at running back to to be super effective, but four seven two is slow. Like that's slow. That's plotter territory uh, for him at his size. So I I I initially had him based on PFF grades, etc. Higher than seeing him at the combine lowered him. I actually have him at six. So I moved AJ Dillon up. Which dude, AJ Dillon does not look like he weighs two hundred forty seven pounds. He is an absolute statue like he's carved out of marble the dude he's like proportional he's six foot tall proportional and then you see him weigh 247 you're like where does that all fit on your body who the hell listed him at 63 at boston college it was he's wearing his cleats that day what the hell were they doing man 63 260 i'm like this guy can't play running back in the league then he comes in at six foot 240 it's like okay we can work with this yep and 7.5% body fat or something like that is what he said at the podium. So Love it. He's a, Yeah, he's an athlete. He just can't catch. And that's fine. It's fine. If, you, if yeah. your ceiling is a lesser Derrick Henry, that's okay. Yep. That's okay. He doesn't have many comps, so he has a distant comp on player profile or Steven Jackson. That's because there aren't a lot of guys to pick from in that 
size category. We're limited, man, in looking for comps for A.J. Dillon. It's a lot easier to comp guys like a Keyshawn Vaughn. It's a lot easier to comp guys like an Eno Benjamin. I think that Keyshawn Vaughn's underrated. I also think that Joshua Kelly's underrated, partly because I saw both of them at the Senior Bowl. Who do you think is more underrated between those two guys? I'm, I'm leaning towards Vaughn. I, I, I'm not as sold on Joshua Kelly as maybe you are, but Vaughn, watching him play, he's a little bit more explosive than people realize and yeah. you know, really is able to generate after contact. You know, When I was running through numbers, the similarity, and I'm only using a few metrics at PFF, and these aren't comps per se, player comps. They're just stat comps. But the player he's most similar to, uh, Tony Pollard. So 3.81 yards after contact per attempt for Vaughn, 3.84 for Pollard, uh, 24% missed tackle rate for Vaughn, 26% for Pollard. They graded out pretty similarly as well. I'll take that all day long if oh, he ends yeah. up being you know somewhat similar on the field. So I do like him more. I, I know I was talking to a few other guys from some of the other websites out there who were at the combine who did like Kelly. I just haven't seen enough at this point to be totally sold on him as I have, you know, with Vaughn. Joshua Kelly's a sweetheart. What's up, man? This is Joshua Kelly running back from UCLA, and you're listening to the Pod Father. I talked to Joshua Kelly at the Senior Bowl. Oh my God. The most gracious professional or soon to be professional sportsman I've ever met. I mean, this is the one guy where I was talking to him, and he's like, are you sure we're done? You sure you don't want to ask me any more questions? Are we good? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, Josh, we're, we're, I think we're good. Instead of just trying to get away from me, right? Instead of having that look like, uh, is this going to be over soon? You know that look? Of course you know that look. Joshua Kelly was like, glad we did this, man. Thanks so much. And I'm like, th- th- yeah, th- thank you, Josh. You know? Great guy. I did not get to talk to Josh Kelly. Oh, dude. If you ever got to talk to Josh Kelly, you'd know it. And he'd go up your rankings. His comp numbers aren't that favorable, and this is why I'm lower on him. 2.99 yards after contact per attempt over his career. Most similar to Daniel Lasco. Okay. That's not necessarily... Lasco's super athletic. It's not great. But never was able to really get much done in the NFL. It's a good thing he did well at the, the Senior Bowl. Yeah. That was a big deal. You want to see that, especially with a guy that doesn't have a full college resume at his disposal. So that was nice. He has the size, he has the pass-catching ability, and he has the production, the athleticism. He technically checks the boxes we like to see. It's now up to the NFL to draft him somewhere so he can be productive in year one, or else he's just a stash. And I don't want this to be a Dexter Williams situation, but that's my worry. Eno Benjamin was interesting in that he weighed in super light at the Senior Bowl, then he came in a lot heavier at the Combine, and I think he exceeded expectations. Anthony McFarland did too. Yeah, Benjamin especially. Now, teams, though, are aware of the, you know, sort of the Combine training that that takes place among a lot of these prospects, so uh, I'm sure the, the... they they will monitor that. Um, did Arizona State have their pro day before all of the COVID cancellations? I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't know. I'm curious if he was if they did if they wait. I'm sure they would have weighed him in. And uh, he participated in all the drills. Man, he was a super workhorse going all the way back to his time in high school. He had a monster workload in high school. Another monster workload at Arizona State. He has explosiveness, agility pass catching ability 
So he looks like Duke Johnson to me. That's a pretty close comp. Yeah, I don't mind that comp. I, I'm not the best for fantasy purposes. No, he's a satellite back. He's not going to be yeah. the featured guy. It's, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. If he pumps himself up like Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones added muscle and turned himself into a workhorse back in the NFL, maybe, maybe. We've yet to see the Packers fully commit to him. I still remember. The reason why we're not higher on Aaron Jones in Dynasty is because I still remember the Jamal Williams weeks. That was last season. You think, oh, that was ancient history. No, that was last season we saw Jamal Williams weeks. So until we go through a season where I don't see Jamal Williams weeks or any other weeks besides Aaron Jones weeks, we're not going to put Aaron Jones up there with Alvin Kamara and even uh, Jonathan Taylor, for that matter. Not in Dynasty. He's 25 years old already. And they've yet to fully commit to him for a full season. That's the reason why. Would you be selling Aaron Jones in Dynasty? 25 is a little young for me. Um, but then again, it, it goes quickly. So at 26, I am selling. Put him on the block, baby. Yeah, I mean, if you can capitalize on somebody who just falls in love with touchdown numbers, then yeah, I mean, anybody's available for a trade there if you're getting the right price for him. I, I don't have an issue with it. I don't think I'd be actively shopping him right now, though. My rule is... The running back who leads the league in touchdown rate should be put on the block just as a feeler, just to see what's out there. You never know. People love Aaron Jones now, man. It's funny how they come around on him. And that's good. I love that. I love that. In seasonal leagues, I'm all about him. It's just for dynasty, I just like to see. I like to see. I have to put my toe in the water. At wide receiver, you mentioned CeeDee Lamb potentially challenging Cortland Sutton for alpha wide receiver status in Denver, which would be great for Drew Locke. It would be bad for fantasy gamers. Is CeeDee Lamb a true five-star wide receiver prospect in your eyes? I don't think so. I don't really see that prospect in this year's class. Nope. Is he good? Can he be a future you know, top 15 fantasy guy if everything shakes out right? Sure. But him and Judy, for me, they're not... They're not absolute rock stars. I mean, and and I, I think everybody is aware of this. You know, nobody's mocking these guys to go in the top five or anything along those lines. And if they were generational, I know that's an overused term, but generational talents, then they certainly would be talked about in that area. They're both good. Don't get me wrong. I like aspects of both their games. I mean, Judy, I am a little concerned when he comes in at 193 pounds and not like CD was that much heavier, but uh yeah, I, I, I'd say very, very good, but not, you know, at that five-star level. You're absolutely right. How do you navigate the, the Rager versus Judy dichotomy if you were deciding between those two? Well, I, I think that Rager for me, uh, A, seeing him at the podium, I didn't expect him to be as jacked as he is. I knew, he, you know, obviously these guys are in good shape, but he... <laughs> right. Right. It's like you could see him from across the room and you're like, you didn't even see the name at the podium. You're like, who is that dude? <laughs> He's just jacked, but maybe a little bit too much muscle because he ran that slower time. I just think when you look at who's the more complete receiver, Judy is the more complete receiver. So that's why I lean towards him uh, over somebody like Rager. It was unfortunate for Jalen Rager that he ran the 44640. You might think, oh, 446, that's fast. That's great. No, 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 that that missed expectations. We were expecting a sub 4440 from Jalen Rager. The sub 4440 significantly helps the comps for players of that size. Mm -hmm. At the Breakout Finder project, when we're establishing a breakout rating for these wide receivers, different metrics 
are applied differently and are weighted differently depending on the wide receiver's stature and other measurables. So 40 time matters a hell of a lot more to a Jalen Rager than it does a T Higgins, for example, because in the end, all the metrics and all the numbers, they basically are a a composite of how that player wins. And then you look at players like him historically, and you want to see the Deshaun Jackson level measurables to say with confidence, hey, I think this guy's going to break out. And because he didn't deliver that, his breakout rating was pushed down, even though even though he posted a 95th percentile burst score at the combine. In the end of the day, that's not as powerful of an indicator. The great burst, the great explosiveness for wide receivers is often a red herring. How many explosive wide receivers have come out of the combine and done absolutely nothing in the NFL? Jack squat, more than I could list today for you, Jeff. The other problem is Jalen Rager comes in and posts a bottom percentile agility score. And that nuked all of his comps. It's like, oh, I got a bunch of comps for Jalen Rager. Oh, until the agility score comes in. Then it's like, I got to squint to see it. That's the problem. I wish I could be more bullish. I wish I could be more bullish on a lot of the wide receivers in this class. It's incredibly deep. But there is no five-star prospect. And if you're going to get a wide receiver early, make it CeeDee Lamb or wait. Henry Ruggs. Disagreements on Twitter about Henry Ruggs. And you see so many analysts talking past each other with Henry Ruggs. I understand that he is going to be a valuable asset for real football, for an actual NFL team as a field stretcher. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a productive fantasy asset. Do you see that problem unfolding in the football analysis ecosystem, Jeff? Absolutely. And I think it's going to be further compounded when... He's one of the first few off the board because we know that's going to happen. It's going to exacerbate it. Yeah. Those that love him will be even louder. Those that dislike him will be bitter. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm a popcorn ready. <laughs> to, to add that to like, you know, if Cam Newton goes to New England, this will be just as fun to watch if Ruggs is the first wide out taken. <laughs> that's going to really... Uh, create the the massive firestorm that that is fun to watch. So yeah, maybe the only wide receiver drafted in the top twenty. Yeah, it could happen. And when I ran through the the numbers uh, comp wise, it's it's just tough because there's you know, such little volume you're operating off of. But some similarities with McCole Hardman, which makes sense given their player the the type of players they are. But that should also give you immediate pause for fantasy purposes because, yeah, Hardman screams upside and he, and, and he, of course, gets to play with Mahomes. But from a volume standpoint, which volume is still going to be king regardless of how, how high your ceiling is, I don't know if he's going to step into a situation where we say, oh, Henry Ruggs is going to see 120 targets. Like, I highly doubt that no. anytime soon. No, you're going to have to get him. If he's the first wide receiver off the board, that necessarily means he's a first-round pick in Dynasty rookie drafts which means he's a fade. You avoid him, and if you want an arbitrage play, you can go ahead and target K.J. Hamler two rounds later. How about that? How about that? Here's a tactic. Dynasty tactics here on the Roto Underworld Radio program. I love Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards has one of the highest breakout ratings. If there's a guy that checks boxes, it's Brian Edwards. But he hurt his knee during the season, couldn't go to the Senior Bowl, hurt his foot, couldn't participate in the Combine. What were scouts saying about Brian Edwards at the Combine? Well, what I heard was favorable... Uh, Good. regarding him I mean obviously it hurts when you don't test but uh I, I mean when I went through the one area where p- 
PFF doesn't necessarily love him is he didn't grade out particularly well, uh, especially when you look at year over year. So in 2017, 72.0, 73.2 the following year. Then last year, when he really was the guy, you know, Debo's out of the mix. He's the guy. 77.9. So uh, some of the elite guys in this year's class are well above 90. And I know people will say, oh, grades. Well, grades are an indicator of how these guys are executing on the field. And sometimes that doesn't matter for fantasy purposes. But when we're talking about the draft, it does matter. It does give us an indicator here of uh, what we're looking at long term. The other thing about him, not a super deep A dot guy, uh, just under 11, 10.96. So not going to be targeted heavily downfield. Not the most efficient over the course of his career on a per route basis either. He was under two yards per route run. So, you know, and again, I'm not major knocks for me. I like him as a player. And I tell you what, I did stand there for a good chunk of his interview. And he's he's a very well put together individual, which sometimes that off the field, who is this player? Who is he as a human being stuff does actually matter. So that gave me a little bit more confidence in him uh, being that we weren't going to be able to see him on the field at the combine. I like him like I like Robert Woods, like I like Tyler Boyd, if he's a bigger, more explosive Tyler Boyd, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. But you can be operating in the short, intermediate quadrants of the field, be a slot flank or prototype, and be super productive. You just want him to land in the right situation. I still think that there are very few players with higher floors, assuming he's healthy, than Brian Edwards, a guy that broke out at age 17 and was as productive as he was for as long as he was at South Carolina, and it's great to see that the scouts regard him highly and that you know he had a presence there at the Combine where it's like, okay, at least it takes the knucklehead factor off the table. That's, that's a good thing, right? You love that when you see a guy like a Joshua Kelly where you know, they're approaching the process with a level of reverence where you're like, okay, taking it seriously. You saw that with Michael Pittman, too, at the Senior Bowl. Michael Pittman, Tyler Johnson, these are guys that played all four years they feel like underrated possession receivers. Would you agree? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Who do you like between those two guys, Pittman and Johnson? Yeah, that's a close one. Uh, Johnson's super effective, you know, especially red zone guy. I mean, the 27 receiving touchdowns over the last two years. But I, I really like, and it could be, you know, sort of the one-year wonder aspect of Pittman, but I really like what we saw out of him. And I was, you know, I was impressed with with seeing him in person. The dude is just big, just straight up big, big. He could play that Larry Fitzgerald, Marquez Colston pumped up slot receiver. You could see that for yeah. him in the NFL. Absolutely. Talk about Chase Claypool in that role. Get out of here. I'd rather move Chase Claypool to tight end. It's Michael Pittman I want to see in that role. Yep, exactly. I don't know that that tight end stuff though. I don't know if that happens anymore after he runs a four four five. I mean, I guess Darren Waller moved to tight end though with similar numbers. Yeah, he's gonna have to flame out and do a Darren and uh, take the Darren Waller road to NFL relevance. It's fine. It's fine. Chase, Chase, we'll be here. We'll be here when you get the TE. We'll be buying. We need tight ends. Brandon Ayuk is he a baller? He is. How did Pro Football Focus like him? in his final season, because all we really have to go on is that final season. So that final season really matters. Yeah, 77.8 grade for the season. So he's right there with Brian Edwards. Yeah, exactly. Seeing him in person, 
Uh, you know, another guy who, well, at 5'11", 205, I did expect him to run a little bit quicker, especially given the role that we expect him to be in. That's right. In the pro level. That's right. The comp is not that favorable, though, at least the one that uh, statistically that I found. Farrow Cooper comes in with very similar yards per route run, very similar A dot. Now, to be fair, Farrow Cooper was a baller in the co- at the college level. He was. Yeah. But athletically, you know, he had some limitations, although he's been a pretty darn good special teamer at, at the pro level. So n- maybe not, you know, maybe not the worst thing to say about Brandon Ayuk, but really like what we saw of him. And not all these guys can hit Jeff. Exactly. And, and I mean, hey, when you're playing at Arizona State, you have pro coaches like it, it that makes a difference for these guys. You know, he's going to know now from working with Herm what to expect going into an NFL locker room. And I, I think that gives him an edge on some of these receivers who didn't have that. Would you be surprised if Lynn Bowden emerges as a member of an active roster in week one? No, not necessarily. I mean, <laughs> is <laughs> he's so versatile. It's hard. I, and, and that was one of the buzz phrases, you know, the uh, position flexibility or however your versatility, however you want to call that, there was a lot of talk of that at the combine and, and, you know, both on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball, by the way. But he offers that. I mean, the guy in a pinch could even play quarterback for you if you if you asked him to. And interestingly, you know, a similar guy, a guy with a similar type background, Jacoby Myers, was uh, who I found him to be most similar to uh, as a receiver, at least from his receiving uh, stats. So. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, he's not going to be a, he's not going to be more quarterback than he is uh, receiver slash running back, but very athletic, very productive. And when you have that versatile skill set in today's NFL, that's something the teams are looking for. They are. And I just wish he had tested if there was a player that I was heartbroken about his ducking at the combine. It was Bowden. Oh, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see Bowden. I wanted to see Hamler. And then uh, nothing. Did they say they were hurt. Hamler did. I was there for Hamler at the beginning of his, uh, and he said he pulled, he 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 hurt his hamstring while training, Ugh. but then he also dropped in that he 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 did it on a four two forty. So <laughs> take it for what that is, dude. You're gonna get hurt. That's the way to do it. Arbitrage, Henry Ruggs for KJ Hamler. <laughs> Any small school wide receivers you're intrigued by? I think a lot of people are going to be looking at Gandy Golden. Uh, mm. Not the best results at the Combine. Or the Senior Bowl. Woof. Yeah. When you look a little deeper, the Rhode Island kids are just appealing to me. They may end up being nothing more than just like uh, a fantasy daydream, you know, dynasty daydream. But Aaron Parker in particular, really productive there, uh, put up big time numbers. Granted, who are you playing against in Rhode Island? And then... I mean, you have his cousin Isaiah Colder there as well. If I had to pick one, it'd be Parker. But yeah, Parker looks good, man. Yeah, I mean, they're both way deep in my my rankings, but I'm just gonna keep an eye on them because you know, especially if they're day three guys, day three guys can turn into something. You, you know, I I don't think just because you're picked on 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 Saturday at the draft that it it means that you're never gonna be a dynasty factor or even a redraft factor. I think you can certainly be day three players. Here's where I'm at. The Dion Kane corollary. Why on earth, Jeff, why on earth would you throw a dart on a Clemson or an Alabama player that makes it to day three? 
That is a wasted pick. You don't think there's enough information in NFL circles about those players? You think that you have some inside information on Deion Kane's ability to ascend in the NFL? You're going to get a great value in the sixth round? Of course not. The way to play day three are small school guys. Because at least you could have an information advantage on a percentage of the league. You're never going to win drafting the big program players on day three. So why not Aaron Parker? That's my take. I like it. I'll get you out of here. At last, you made it. Big, bold prediction for the NFL draft. I'm never that good. I've always been trained to be conservative, so I'm never the most bold with these. But I I, I think that this one is, is – I guess it's bold enough. Jordan Love uh, is going to be a top five pick in the draft, uh, and he's going to go – as the third quarterback off the board. I think there's enough teams out there who see, and mind you, there are some problems with this comp, but the Patrick Mahomes similarities that a lot of people talk about, that they don't want to be the nine teams who passed up on Patrick Mahomes in 2017, and somebody's going to step up and take him. They're going to take him ahead of Herbert. Uh, they, teams that, that was the other thing at the Combine. It went from... Jordan Love, lots of interceptions last year, inconsistencies, what happened to Jordan Love is off the charts, highest ceiling, blah, 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 and and I think that the team's going to fall in love and he's going to go top five, which of course means that Tua basically is going to go at two, but I don't think that's bold. Jordan Love top five. I think I love it. Jordan Love is off the charts, highest ceiling, blah, 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 and and I think that the team's going to fall in love and he's going to go top five. Jordan Love is off the charts, highest ceiling, blah, 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 and and I think that the team's going to fall in love and he's going to go top five. I don't love Jordan Love, but I love the bold take. I love the boldness. <laughs> I mean, everyone forgets. Uh, the, the, oh, maybe we'll get two at six. Are you insane? Nope. Forget that, like the zeal for the quarterback position. I mean, it's gonna—he's going at two. He's always been going at two. It's always been a delusion that you could get him anywhere other than two. So Washington either takes him, which is very possible, or someone trades up with Washington. I mean, Washington always does the trading up, so it's gonna be weird if they trade down. But it's possible. If you're Washington, do you trade down or you take Tua? Man, I, I, I don't see how you could pass on Tua. I think you take Tua. I mean, I think you take Tua. If you're Detroit, do you trade Stafford to Washington and take and take Tua too? I don't know if that's a good move, considering what you can do with the salary cap while a quarterback who is ascending is on his rookie contract. The things it allows you to do, it makes those quarterbacks invaluable, the ones that hit. That's why Arizona said, you know what, forget Josh Rosen, top 10 pick. We're going back in. We're going Kyler Murray. You can give us whatever you want to give us. Second round pick. We'll take it on Josh Rosen. They should do the same thing with Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins probably wouldn't command anything more than a third rounder at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. 
Very few believers. And so if you put your toe in the market, they don't. no one believes in him, then you shouldn't believe in him, and you should take Tua. I'm telling you, man, the number of American flags you're going to see at these games. Americans, we want football, man. It's going to be palpable, the energy, when the season actually starts. I'm thinking about that all the time. I'm like, dude, when this season starts, it's going to be electric. I mean, I can't believe it. I thank every day. I thank the stars. The season ended in early February. Yeah, and, and honestly, that this happened, it happened after the combine. You know, because if they canceled the combine, then that would have been a, it would have been a different scenario. I mean, I know the pro days for about, well, more than half of the schools, but just, it's crazy. A couple more weeks and it would have been a different scenario. I didn't even think of that. Honestly, I didn't even think of the combine. You're right. Dude, the combine almost got canceled. It was close. There was talk out there. Like, people were talking a little bit about it, but it really wasn't a major concern. Yeah, two weeks later, it would have been a completely different scenario. I don't know when they're going to start dealing with the practice. It, it may get pushed back just because the start of preseason might get pushed back. Yeah. I think it might get pushed back, but not impact the number of games. It would just go into February, right? The Super Bowl might get moved back. Everything just might shift because they can't really allow people to get together until August. But then you've got to actually, you can't just start playing preseason games on day one. They've got to get a couple weeks to ramp up and then it kind of shifts everything. So to me, that's that's best case scenario. I'm not thinking about worst case scenario right now. That's not even entering my mind. You can't operate in the world thinking about worst case scenario. It's too much. You'll spiral. Absolutely. And a lot of people are. And then a lot of people just don't, don't give a fuck and they're just acting like nothing's happening right there's the people that are oblivious and they're just like well they're gonna turn the economy back on in a couple days and it's gonna be just like it was no number one and then other people are like they just want to watch the world burn right so there's there's a little bit of the the nihilists that just want to watch the world burn they're like oh look at all these people with money losing it <laughs> and it's like bro what the fuck is wrong with you you know, they're assholes, man. This is bad for every single person. It's just a question of how bad it is. You have the people dying. From there, it's all increments of badness for all of us. We have uh, South Korean sports or whatever and Aussie rules football. I saw there's esports still going on. I've always wanted to get into esports. Now there's an excuse. Now this is it. This is all we have, esports in the United States. We are in this. The transaction game is still happening. This is not impacting the transactions at all. Mm -hmm. Also, it, Tom Brady's gone full uh, Herbalife, hasn't he? He's going to be running a pyramid scheme in the next couple of years. I haven't fully dove down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I've just kind of kept my head down. But what, with his diet and all that crap, is is he... So it comes out that when he signed with the Buccaneers, he only had one contract demand was that they give him every player's phone number. <laughs> which is just every, which is so Brady, like leader, develop relationships with every teammate. He's just, you know, picking the perfect PR request of all time. So great job. I'm a little cynical. I would be less cynical about Brady. I would feel more like, this guy is the goat of the goats. He just wants phone numbers. Right? Then the next thing I know, I see him on Instagram, and he's talking about how TB12 can help boost their immune system in times like this. And then there's a link to buy these supplements. He's the NFL's Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. And I'm like, timing. Great. Tom, 
Really, Tom? Right now? He has no clue. He's he's really, really, really ridiculously wealthy. He has no clue. Okay, cool. Supplements right now. All right, so the opportunism, it was just a little too thick with the opportunism. I was just, it was off-putting. Then I'm thinking about the phone numbers, and I'm like, okay, okay, all right, all right. But all of his teammates love him, man. At the end of the day, it's hard to find a teammate that has a negative thing to say about him. So that's kind of what I fall back on when I'm trying to make my final assessment of what this guy's all about. The teammates love him. Yeah. I got to take some people off a block and off a mute. I think I got to do that at some point if I ever get around to it. Especially great when you mute people in the industry. (laughs) And the industry has now become a much better place for me. It totally is. The thing is, I will look at a person's page and I'll be like, I've never seen any of these tweets. And I'll be like, oh, that's right. I have this person muted. And I wonder if they'll ever figure out I have them muted. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) And I'm like, of course they won't. Like, what do you think you are that people are like twirling their thumbs? When's Matt going to reply to this tweet? Of course not. No one knows, cares. Some of them want that reply, though. They want that, that, uh, that heat. They just live to argue. And the thing about it is I'd much rather have somebody like, if you want to argue with me, let's let's go on on mic and let's argue. That's it. And instead of hiding behind a keyboard. And those same people often back down. When you see them in person, I've noticed this. They, you know, they're all like nice and. Oh, sweethearts. You're a completely different person than than what you present on social media. So it's, it's interesting. What's frustrating to me is if, if I break down up someone's position on a show or something, well, I'm giving them exposure. It's good, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's also a volley. Like you can then take me and, and do a, a segment about, you know, maybe criticizing me on your show. Don't take it to Twitter. You just made it worse. You just ruined it. You know, we could have had a little back and forth. But as soon as they take it to Twitter, it's like, ugh, you just ruined it. Twitter's lame. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Oh, he was amazing. And bushy eyebrows. Anyone with big bushy eyebrows has a vote of confidence from the podfather who has his own bushy eyebrows. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. He's just good. He really is. Oh, dude. If you ever got to talk to Josh Kelly, you'd know it. And he'd go up your rankings. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm on popcorn ready. On the season, the season grade on a 0 to 100 scale, 38.4. Oh, no. Oh, God. Ronald. Ronald! For God's sake, block somebody, Ronald! God damn it! It's Tom Brady we're talking about here! Is that your Bruce Arians? Do you know who Tom Brady is? He's the greatest football player of all time. You're going to get him killed, Ronald! The Patriots would be amazing because enough people hate Cam and hate the Patriots that I think the entire universe would implode. Oh, yeah, I hate Vortex would open up in Foxborough. Total hate. Total hate Vortex. You realize what I was dealing with at Florida State? Fuck out of here. I don't know why I acted that out, but I can imagine. (laughs) He has the ability to make the most impossible throws look super routine and the most routine throws look super impossible. Oh, snap! That's amazing! Denzel Mims in the first round! Dude, how far have we come, Jeff? Since the Senior Bowl. Now this guy's getting talked about as a first round pick. That makes me so happy. Just straight up big. Big. Chase, we'll be here! We'll be here when you get the TE! We'll be buying! 
So a soccer league in Pakistan used to have PFF.com. You got the URL! PFF is yours! I didn't expect him to be as jacked as he is. I knew, you know, obviously these guys are in good shape, but he... It's like you could see him from across the room and you're like, you didn't even see the name at the podium. You're like, who is that dude? Oh, dude. If you ever got to talk to Josh Kelly, you'd know it. That's my take. I like it. It's the least crowded passing game in the NFL. 